Welcome, welcome, welcome to the final episode of Who Says No that I will ever record in San Diego, probably, I assume. Um, it's a little bittersweet. Again, it's not going to change the listener experience at all, but I'm a nostalgic person, so I'm going to bring it up. Uh, joining me today to talk about the hottest player on the trade market, I guess. I feel weird saying the hottest player on the trade market. I feel like that has connotation. The player with whom trade rumors are most active at the moment, I guess, is Evan Damerall from Fear of the Sword from Locked on Cavs. Talk about Ben Simmons as a possible Cavs target. Evan, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I mean, hey, no judgment here. If you think Ben Simmons is attractive, you think Ben Simmons is attractive. Like, personally, he's a little tall for my liking. And, um, but hey, well, at the end of the day, it's not, I don't know. Like you said, it, there is some connotation to it and people could take it out of context. That's, that's the beauty of the internet is people can clip 15 seconds of audio and say, and try and ruin your entire career with it. I'm going to borrow the sports with Katie Nolan rule and say, we don't objectify athletes on this podcast. There we go. I like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. As someone who's only 5'10 also. Yeah, you're right. He is a little tall for me. Um, but we're actually going to talk about Cleveland as a Ben Simmons destination because I have become convinced throughout this entire process that there are two teams that are pretty well equipped to absorb Ben Simmons and have him enhance what they already have and also have players that can really enhance him too, right? Like what they, I think it's been a little overblown how much of a failure he's been in Philly. They were the number one seed last year, right? Like they lost in the second round to Atlanta. Yeah. But I think there was a lot more to that than just Ben Simmons collapsing. That being said, We've sort of seen two square pegs going into round holes here where Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are very different sorts of players. It's hard to fit them together. So hopefully on Ben Simmons' next team, you want to have a few things, right? You want to have big men that are comfortable shooting, which Joel Embiid is, but he also spends so much time posting up that it's not really optimal use of his talents to stick him in the three-point line. And you also want sort of shot-making guards, right? Somebody who can create baskets for you at the end of the game. I think Cleveland and Minnesota are the two teams that fit that bill really well. We're going to focus on Cleveland today. So before we get into the specifics, I just want to broadly ask this question. Scale of 1 to 10, how confident are you in Cleveland's ability to land Ben? Hmm. I'd give it about a 2 or 3 right now. Um, we've, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, maybe show how the sausage is made a little bit. But I just don't know if... like. Like you said, these are both ideal situations. I, I, we can break down the minutia of it a little bit too because there are some questions as well, spacing-wise, if you bring Ben Simmons to Cleveland in terms of Okoro, Mobley, Allen, and then if you send Sexton out there, Garland is pretty much... And Larry Barkin are the two primary shooters at the moment on the roster, and maybe you have to figure out some things after that. But I feel like there's a two... Scale of 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, maybe a 2 or a 3 right now, and that's it just if Philly gets desperate... And they don't want to accept, let's say, Minnesota's offer, and Minnesota just keeps lowballing him a little bit. And they think, you know what? Maybe Kevin Love and Colin Sexton is a better alternative to D'Angelo Russell and picks at this point. But I think the Cavs need to get a third team involved. Um, from what I've gathered, the Cavs, if they want to pursue a player, are more than willing to get a third team involved. That's how they got Larry Market in here in the first place because Chicago didn't want Larry Nance Jr. straight up. They wanted a first and a second. So they went to Portland, got that first, and so if a trade does materialize and the cat and, and Philadelphia tells Cleveland, "Hey, we don't want Sexton, but we'll take Kevin Love, but you need to go get us another veteran piece." If they can go out and find said veteran piece that you know moves the needle for Philly enough to make something happen, um, well, let's, let's let's make it happen. But I, I agree with your take too, like. Ben Simmons as well, the asking price should be high for him because I know a lot of people are going to crystallize their opinion of him based on what happened in Atlanta. And, like, don't get me wrong, him passing up that dunk is a fairly unforgivable thing. Like, that's not a that's not a bad – that's not a good look to begin with. But you also can't bake your entire take on the Ben Simmons experience based off that one playoff moment. Yeah, you can it can gauge your view of him a little bit, but you still have a perennial all-defensive caliber player, a player who could be in the conversation for defensive player of the year, and somebody who, if you're a team like Cleveland especially, becomes the best player right away and are really the best perimeter defender since, you know, a prime LeBron James at this point, like – you can't get too picky on it because I like I see Cavs fans yelling back and forth across the echoes in the void that is Twitter about how like Ben Simmons would be like an absolute disaster for Cleveland. I think no, as a talent play, this this really moves the needle towards what the Cavs are trying to build. I think. Well, I rarely say this, 
I do think we're getting a little too caught up in the championship equity portion of this conversation where oh, we've yeah. seen the limitations that Ben Simmons has on a team with championship ambitions. I think those can be worked around, but I think there's a lot to be said for a team like Cleveland or Minnesota that has been out of the playoffs for so long now. Like you have to get from point A to point B if you ever want to get from point B to point C. I don't think Simmons puts a hard ceiling on you or anything. He might in specific circumstances, but like, even if you have all of these doubts about Simmons as a playoff player, and I think some of them are more valid than others, he's such a good regular season player that taking Cleveland from like 30 wins up to like 45, that has real value, right? Like it's not just that he's a defensive player of the year candidate. He is such a ceiling or such a floor raiser rather in every element of the game, except for shooting, right? Like you get so much in transition out of him. He's a good rebounder. He's a really good playmaker in certain contexts. Like, that is really valuable to teams that don't have high floors. It might cap your ceiling a little bit, but I think teams like Cleveland, well, if you're going to argue that Simmons is a disaster, I would argue that the last three years have been a disaster, right? Like how, things couldn't really oh, yeah. get much worse. I'm optimistic about their future, but let's talk about a third team here, right? If Philly doesn't want Sexton, and we'll get into this in a little bit, I am a huge Colin Sexton optimist. Do you have any idea about what a third team could be like what kind of player Philly's looking for because we've done the superstar exercise right and Damian Lillard is not available Bradley Beal's yep. not available so yep is there a middle ground here see that's that's the problem in itself though because you have to find a team that because trading for Colin Sexton is a tricky situation because he's going to be a restricted free agent next offseason and you have to have full confidence that you're going to retain him if you are a team that wants to take him on and also your team that wants to pay him maybe the amount of money he wants to be paid. But I guess the luxury of restricted free agency is you let him test the market as well if you want to just let him go out there and try it and maybe you get him for way less than what he's looking for. I think that's what the Cavs might do if it comes to it, but I think it's tricky. I think maybe like a team like Memphis, um, I know – like Brooks and I know Anderson are available for the right price. I wonder if Sexton could maybe some form of draft compensation because I'm, I, I think the Grizzlies are heading in the right direction, but I still think they're still trying to rebuild and retool around, even though they have jaw and Sharon Jackson jr. And they have, well, they so punted many- away this off season, right? Like essentially yeah. they said, we want to take a step back here. We're trading away our capital. Yeah, they're, they're, kick, they're kicking the can down yeah, the road exactly. on them for a little bit. So if right. that's like, you look at Memphis, you're saying, okay, well, if they're going to prioritize the future, why don't we grab some of these? Yes, they're a little bit younger, but they're players with clearly defined skill sets and they have a clear value. And yes, they're on a higher paying contract. Like a team like Memphis might want to say, hey, why don't we make a talent play for Colin Sexton, make ourselves better now and in the long term as well? And maybe, you know, get some more for lock or sorry, luxury or sorry, salary flexibility to maybe get off one of, let's say, Anderson or Brooks at this point. And then maybe you approach Philly and say, like, okay, this is still not the ideal situation, like you said, but Dame's not available. Brad Beal's not available. I don't think the Sixers can necessarily make a power play to get a transcendental superstar to get Ben Simmons. Like, I think. I asked my co-host Chris Manning this on my show, Locked on Cavs. Like, do you think it's a fireable offense if you're Daryl Morey because you had James Harden sitting in your crosshairs and Ben Simmons was the asking price and that was too rich for your blood? Like, you have to sit there and think about it. Like, you could have had James Harden and now you have to really circle back and look at what's available here because, like you said, it's been less than ideal for Ben for a few years now and we'll talk about Houston and Ben Simmons' future as well with them. Like, I still think that's such an ideal situation for him to end up in, but it's just it's just tough to look at the market overall. Like, if you just want to do a one-for-one swap, I think you just remove Cleveland entirely and you just approach the trade of getting, like, a CJ McCollum. Like, I think that's still a realistic trade and you try to pair dame lillard and ben simmons together then you try to pair cj and joel and b together and then you just see what happens there and get funky with it but i i think the return is going to be underwhelming for philly in the end but i think daryl morey is a good gm as well where he can kind of draw stick stomp his foot and refuse to make a move until he absolutely has to and i think at this point at least from what i gathered they're willing to get uncomfortable with this too like they're willing to drag this out with the clutch they're not gonna like people will say oh they're gonna burn bridges like rich paul is such a powerful agent like yes rich paul is a very powerful and influential agent in sports and i think 
that is definitely something to take into consideration. But also, these are grown adults here. I don't think agents are going to be necessarily petty with certain teams because you still have to do business with all these people. And there's only certain there's only a certain amount of teams that your clients can do business with based on who has money and free agency. So yeah, like you could piss off Rich Paul, but Rich Paul can still go back to Philly and say, okay, well, my player wants to sign with you in free agency. Let's figure something out. It's just the Ben Simmons bridge more so be burnt at that point well daryl hasn't done much work with clutch has he right because harden is not clutch and he had harden forever in houston chris paul isn't um russell westbrook isn't you know um mb to caa chris paul caa as well so i feel and, like uh, rose was wanna... traded for wall so well yeah or, but that sorry. was or well, no. yeah, um, McNair, no, McNair is in Sacramento. I get the Daryl Morey tree mixed up. Um, Stone, Stone tree. So that's it. Yeah, Stone tree. Wall. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it, it's a, it's a it's a big branching path from Daryl Morey. But the point is, like, different teams are different are more comfortable with different agencies. I yeah. think Daryl tends to be more aligned with CAA, and like, guess what? CAA guys and Clutch don't tend to overlap all that much either. Like. He might just not be a guy that does too much business with Clutch. As far as the Harden thing goes, I've never been convinced that it was as simple as like Houston was waiting for an answer, yes to Ben Simmons or no to Ben Simmons. I think it was Ben well, Simmons fair. plus, plus, plus. I don't know what those pluses were. I don't even know if Philly necessarily you know, could have done it unless they were going to offer like all of their picks. What it seemed more like to me at the time was that Houston was waiting on Brooklyn to find one more pick, and then they did with Jared Allen. I will say this, though. If Philly did have a real chance to get James Harden, like if they were an answer away, like just say yes away, the real malpractice here is not that they didn't get James Harden. It's that they let Brooklyn get James Harden. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is you have an in-division foe who has a nuclear option on offense. I I still – I think Brooklyn is going to be better defensively with a fully healthy squad, but I think they can just run teams out of the gym. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the biggest issue is they let Brooklyn get hardened. If the Nets didn't exist in their current form, if they were even just the two-star Nets, I think Philly could talk themselves into winning the East, right? Especially like oh, yeah. they had a chance to trade for Kyle Lowry at the deadline last year. That was truly on them. That they didn't get Kyle Lowry was their own decision. If the Nets didn't exist and they had gotten Kyle Lowry, I would have picked them to win the East. They're not that far away in a universe where the Nets don't exist. To some level, they are complicit in helping the Nets come into come into being. I don't know how far that is because I don't know how close they came to getting Harden, but that's the real malpractice here. But let me sell you on my Colin Sexton optimism. You watch him every night. You have a better idea of what he is than I do. But I've got a stat for you. This is among players in their age 22 season or younger. Only 20 players have ever averaged 24 points per game on 57% true shooting. All of them are all-stars, and the last two were Devin Booker and Trey Young. So I do think there's a little bit of a trend that we fall into here where good young players get drafted by bad teams and we pigeonhole them as good stats, bad team guys early on. But I don't think that necessarily has to be the case with Sexton. When he's in a better infrastructure, I would argue that he's got a lot of room to grow, right? Like, He shot 46% on wide open threes last year. If he's in more of a supporting role, I think he'll be okay. Uh, When he came into the NBA, he had this defensive reputation as somebody who was like really, really intense. Somebody who was going to be a lockdown defender who had a chance to be. You know, he's got the oh, long wing. Colin he's a little completely small. flipped the narrative on yes. what his perception was. Because exactly. Eric Bledsoe was the most popular comparison for him. Yep. And he is anything but Eric Bledsoe. Right. And, and that, that's not a bad point. thing. Eric Bledsoe, like, might still be in there. I don't know. If you put him in an infrastructure where, like, defense is the culture and there are a lot of veterans around him, maybe that you could still unlock that defense. I don't know. But the scoring is so, so good at such a young age that I really think we're undervaluing his upside, right? Like, there is a chance that he's going to go the Devin Booker route. And while we're all calling him, you know, the inefficient young gunner, now, like, maybe in three years, if he's on the right team, he looks like an all-star. I think that's a possibility. I think if he's in Cleveland this year, still in Cleveland this year, and I have a good feeling that he will be, like, there's a good chance he could be the representative for the Cavs at All-Star Weekend and not just three-point shoot, a three-point shooting contest or something else like that. Like, there's a possibility he could be even just a reserve for the All-Star team in the East or however they drafted in the end. But 
Colin is a polarizing player. I think there's a lot of stigma and angst with Cavs fans because he really is the indicator of the end of an era where he was that Nets pick that the Cavs obtained from trading Kyrie Irving to Boston. So it's the indication of the breakup between Irving and LeBron. And then LeBron kind of more or less pushed the Cavs and Kobe Altman to trade that Brooklyn Nets pick to make an immediate talent upgrade so they can it was Walker, championship right? now. Yeah, that it was, was Kemba Walker. Yeah. It was Kemba Walker or and if you look at that with the power of hindsight, like thank God the Cavs didn't do it was that. DeAndre but, Jordan was the other one, right? Yeah, DeAndre. Yeah, it's just uh, just hearing those names now and like looking like with a couple years removed from it all, like thank good. And like it's very clear LeBron sometimes doesn't understand the team building process where he's like just go out and get a guy. Like it's a lot easier when you're. I don't know. I think David Griffin had the luxury of all those assets the Cavs acquired and then just cashing in on all of them when LeBron first came back. Because he does say he does said no onus. Like I think the Lakers learned first and firsthand, like when he first came in and saying, like, oh, we don't need LeBron to play so much, we'll lean on the young guys. Like, no, LeBron sets a certain onus to say, We're competing for a championship now. F these young kids, go out and get me some star teammates. And I mean Anthony well, Davis is a pretty good pro- pretty good teammate day- to pair him with. One day I want us to do a podcast on what we think LeBron is going to be like as an owner because he's going to own a team. He's that's just going to happen. Oh, it's probably going to be the Cavs, and he's going to be the cheap. He's going to be the cheapest owner in the league because I still laugh at the story. And um, when I was getting to know my girlfriend, she's like, "Well, what's your favorite like basketball player story?" I'm like, "Oh, LeBron's so cheap that he doesn't pay for uh." Uh, Spotify pre- or not Spotify premium Pandora premium like he plays it with the ads but because he's LeBron James like when he's playing music in the locker room for everybody nobody complains when the ads for Pandora comes on <laughs> I've heard some similar stories I don't want to get too deep into them my other part of it is I think LeBron has this idea that like oh my whole playing career guys have wanted to play with me because I'm LeBron and I feel like first of all I think there's a good chance Rich Paul will be the GM when he buys the team and I think that a lot of what his team building strategy is going to be. It's like guys are going to want to be here because I'm LeBron and we're clutch and yada, yada, yada. But then he's going to find that like, no guys didn't want to come to Cleveland because of LeBron James. They wanted to come to Cleveland because of LeBron James, the player. And if the mm-hmm. best player in the NBA isn't on the Cavs, like suddenly you're going to find recruiting to Cleveland is a lot harder. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I think, I mean, I think the the smartest thing LeBron could do is, kind of emulate Magic Johnson and how Magic was a celebrity owner for the for the uh, Dodgers or like Jay-Z was a celebrity owner for the Nets where like you can use him as an ambassador to kind of market your brand a little bit and kind of like keep things going but you bring in some like folks that are one going to keep the Cavs in Cleveland I don't think like let's be frank here like the Browns leaving for Baltimore many moons ago has really put the fear of God in city council and county council to that. Uh, if a team threatens to leave over like an arena dispute, the city and the county will ease Cuyahoga County will easily cave on any demands that the Cavs or whoever want to make. Uh, that's kind of how they got this whole arena project underway to begin with, but that's a story for another day. But yeah, so jumping back to the Colin Sexton thing. Yeah. Also LeBron, I don't know if he'd be the best owner. We'll have to definitely talk about that in the future, but Jumping back, like there is a bit of a stigma because he is a like Colin is first off viewed as this player where okay you are in you're an indication of an end of an era and then he gets dogged on by his teammates when he first starts like a lot of players speak to the media through, under an, anonymity to say like he doesn't know how to play he doesn't understand the basics of basketball we can't win with this guy I think there's a lot of angst because they felt a lot of what those Cavs were feeling Cavs fans were feeling at the time too saying like well this is the cat the Cavs stuck with even though we could have traded this pick to maybe win another championship with LeBron's last year here because it was no secret that LeBron was leaving for Los Angeles at the end of the day I think and like Colin just kind of proved a lot of his doubters wrong. Um, like you said, coming out of Alabama, he wasn't known as a three-point shooter. And frustratingly, for the better part of his rookie season, he didn't take threes. He took very long twos. And you're just wishing, like, damn it, Colin, I wish you would take a step or two back and just shoot threes on a more consistent clip. And he kind of started doing that. And then he was snubbed for the Rising Stars game. I think they chose Kevin Knox. The media chose Kevin Knox over him, or the coaches chose Kevin Knox over him. One of the two. But that kind of set Colin off, and he went on the tear to finish his rookie season, finishes his second team on rookie honors. And he's just kind of had a, a remarkable situation during his time in Cleveland. Like he has to live with the pressure and expectations of building out of the void of LeBron James a second time. He has dealt with 
multiple coaches. He's had Ty Lue as a head coach. He's had Larry Drew as a head coach. He's had John Balan as a head coach. He's had J.D. Bickerstaff as a head coach. And Dan Gilbert's not a patient man, so there's a good chance that Colin could have another coach by this time next year in Cleveland as well. Things kind of go sideways to start the season with how the schedule looks. J.D. Bickerstaff could be on the hot seat a few weeks into the season if the Cavs aren't looking as sharp as uh, maybe the management and ownership is hoping. But it's just you try to put a cap on his ability. And I, I was a victim of this and I will openly say I was wrong about this, where I said two years ago in his midway into his sophomore season, where I said, okay, he is ideally your six man because he doesn't provide a lot of tertiary playmaking. He is kind of um, a black hole in offense at times. He doesn't do a lot of these things that you hope he does. The Cavs move him over to the two guard. He's still a huge minus defensively, but I think you kind of have to build around him and put players alongside him. And I think the Isaac Okoro addition kind of answers a lot of that. I think Larry Nance Jr. did a lot of good for that. I think adding Jared Allen did a lot of good for that. But like you watch his offense evolve in real time, he became a three-point shooter. And then my co-host Chris Manning smartly wrote a piece about how Colin needs to start using his speed and athleticism to draw contact in order to get the free throw line more often. He's doing that more often. And I think now the next step for him in his offensive repertoire is just looking at his shot profile and say – Okay, Colin, you are a very good, like a very good three-point shooter. Like you've proved to many folks at this point you're a very good three-point shooter. What we need you to do now is take more threes and be a little bit more selfish when you have the ball in your hands because it'll make your life a hell of a lot easier on offense and it'll make the team's life a hell of a lot easier on offense because of the theoretical gravity and space you provide. And if Colin takes that next step, like I think that and maybe a few more tweaks to his game, like the the, the playmaking thing was a real thing. I think um, I think it was another athletic piece where players were complaining about how he doesn't move the rock very much, and how opposing team or opposing players will say, "Well, Colin has the ball." Like they tell other his teammates on the Cavs, like you're not going to get the rock. He's just going to hold it the whole time. And, like Colin made a point to get his other teammates involved. Like, I think that's a good thing, but I think the addition of Jared Allen is just a, a simple read to dump it down to Jared as either, a, or as a lot, or using Jared as a lot threat helps. And I think adding Evan Mobley makes life easier. And I think adding Lowry Markin in as a perimeter threat, just as a pick and pop option makes Collins life easier as a playmaker too. I don't expect him to be a primary playmaker, but I think that's also going to be another asset of his game. We're going to see evolve in real time. And like you said too, if you put him in a veteran situation as well, because this is a very young cap squad, like they're really hoping Ricky Rubio is going to be the key veteran because clearly Kevin Love didn't pan out. That is the Chris Paul in this situation where he wasn't going to be the adult in the room. And like, you're hoping Ricky Rubio is now the answer, but like in theory, if you start Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. The average age of that lineup is 21.5. This is why I picked Cleveland to go under their win total, by the way. I mean, aside from the fact their net rating was much worse than their record last year. That team, like, I, Rubio is a veteran, but when you look at the players that are actually going to play, like, who are the key veterans that are going to be playing real minutes that are sort of, like, being the adult in the room on the floor when, yep. say, an opponent's on a 6-0 or an 8-0 run? And, like, who's going to, like, slow it down? It's like, okay, guys, take a breath. Here's what we're going to do. I just don't or see that guy like on the roster. In the midst of a West Coast road trip, and you're like, okay, guys, this is tough, I know, but, like, we can get through this. I know how to, like, I've been through this many times before. This is what you need to do and all things like that. Like, And the other thing with Rubio is – is he's on an expiring contract, and if he plays well enough for the Cavs, the Cavs could use him as a trade chip at the deadline to maybe add more assets to the rebuild as well. Like, there's no guarantee he's here the entire year either. So, yeah, I just think there's going to be a lot of youth and inexperience for this team, and I think Colin can cash in because the Cavs haven't made a ton of moves this offseason other than the marketing sign-and-trade and trading for Rubio and signing Jared Allen to an extension and drafting Evan Mobley. Like, those four moves are key moves, obviously, but... Nothing like huge, like that moves the needle a lot. Like the Cavs didn't go out and get another two guard to kind of pair alongside Darius Garland and bump Colin down the rotation. They didn't get another wing to bump Isaac Okoro out of the rotation to kind of make that win now move to make a serious play in her playoff push. But I think Colin can be a benefactor of this situation. But like you said, he has the, like, he has a seven foot wingspan, I think, off the top of my head. Like he has the God given ability to be a plus defender. He showcased that at Alabama. Like, I don't think he's going to be all defensive caliber. I think that ship is sailed, but I think he could be a respectable defender. And like you said, if you pair him next to veterans and you put him in a situation where 
it's like a Doc Rivers coach led coaching staff where they say, okay, Colin, we want you to be true to yourself, but we also want to we also want you to play defense. I think you can tap into that and maximize that potential too. That's why I love Philly for him because you're never going to have an easier time on defense than when you're playing in a lineup with Danny Green, Matisse Thibel, and Joel Embiid, right? Like the yeah. standard is never going to be lower for you there. I mean, not only are you going to learn a lot, but like just on a day-to-day basis, you're just not going to be asked to do all that much, right? All he'd have to and be is not a liability. Just to get buckets. Yep. And I would argue that the playmaking responsibility is much lower also because like entry passes are not that hard to make, right? It's not like he would have to be making the passes that LeBron makes or that Chris Paul makes. If your goal is just, A, generate buckets for yourself, and B, put Joel Embiid in situations where he can create buckets for himself, that's not a very hard job for a point guard. No, not at all. And I think Colin's more of a combo guard in all honesty at this point. Like, you would... And I, I guess if you want to really get into like the the philosophy of basketball, basketball's positionless. You just put the five best players on the floor in certain situations. I think you think will lead you to success in certain scenarios. But I think I think you hit the nail on the head. Like if you put him next to Matisse Thybulle, if you put him next to Danny Green, like those two alone um, cover for a lot of the defensive inefficiencies Colin may have, and also may max out his potential as well as a defender too because they're going to rub off and teach him especially danny green like that's such an excellent mentor for him to have there like but as he's learning in real time like those two can cover up for it and then colin in turn can kind of cover up from sometimes the lack of the offense those two provide but it's just interesting like i just my only concern is is will joel Embiid get frustrated playing alongside colin because I love Colin as a player. I know fans in Cleveland love Colin as a player. But there is not a quite a rap sheet, but there is a decent list of players, I think I'd say, that didn't enjoy playing with Colin at times, or they get frustrated with sometimes his lack of vision when they're wide open. But And they weren't subtle about it either. I mean, Kevin no, Love is the no. obvious answer, but like Kevin you, watch obvious. The Cavs, you watch the Cavs often enough, you can see the body language. It's not subtle. Yeah. No, it's not subtle at all. So I wonder, like, Joel is not – a subtle dude to begin with like he will let you know or he will take shots if you at you through the media and such where either this is going to be an ideal fit in philly or it could be very volcanic and at times too because colin could maybe lose a game or two to philly at some point i'm not going to put that onus and pressure on him because i think his role will be a lot more defined in philadelphia versus what it is in cleveland but it's just also interesting to think like what exactly the Cavs will do with him because again he is going to be a restricted free agent this upcoming offseason and cleveland kind of has to maybe figure out okay do we really want to commit money to this kid now because here's my thing with colin like i understand the Cavs' hesitation and i think fans are ripping their hair out about this too like why haven't they signed him to an extension yet like i see some folks saying like he deserves a max i see other folks saying like oh 10 million a year annually and like okay that's way too low and okay for the 10 billion like the max is i think a little too high for colin i think you can shoot your shot and maybe ask for a contract but you you pay for what you believe in now or you pay for what he's going to be obviously going forward what you think he'll be going forward but it's a tricky situation too because you don't know what exactly colin sexton looks like on a very good team too like i think the popular comparison for him is donovan mitchell like justin rowan of the chase down makes that comparison quite a bit saying like oh he has a lot of similarities to, to donovan mitchell at the same point in their respective careers and then i've asked justin full stop like okay if you put colin if you swap don for colin do you get the same production and I, justin can't give me a straight answer on it and i think that kind of answers it for me we're like I need to see Colin Sexton in like a winning situation to really say like, okay, this is what he is good at. This is what he isn't good at. This is how much he is worth financially to me. I mean, obviously I'm not the owner here or I'm not the management here. I'm not going to be writing these checks to begin with, but you get a clear idea of what he is. So like you're really paying for his potential at this point. So again, to circle back, like if you're going to trade Colin, like you have to find a team that wants to extend him because it's like you're Philly and you still don't know what he's worth and you still can't like maybe you're not comfortable extending him like right away why would you risk losing him in free agency as well like that's the other hang up for me is like why ben simmons is like a two or three if it's just a one for one trade where why would philly give up such a valuable asset like ben simmons for a possible piece in colin sexton that may not retain beyond this year like that's horrible asset management on philadelphia's part well i think if you're doing it we'll get into the, we'll actually let me we'll get into this for a second i want to add one thing I remember when Deion Waiters got traded to the Thunder, and this might sound like a non sequitur, 
But I remember Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook both like coming out and saying, Cleveland didn't use him right. Like they didn't appreciate him. We're going to support him. We're going to like really make him feel like part of the team. And they almost made the finals with them. Like that really mm-hmm. worked out for them in a short term. I remember Doc Rivers getting the Clippers job and really gassing up DeAndre Jordan and insisting like, oh, if you're taking a picture of Chris and Blake, DJ's got to be in there. DJ's the defensive player of the year. DJ this, DJ that. I think there would be a real organizational push from Philly to be like, if we do end up with Sexton and it doesn't look like they're going to, but like if that was going to be the case, if we do end up with him, we are going to do everything in our power to support him and to help him become the player we think he can be. Like it would be to the point where like, Every press conference, Doc would be saying, oh, Colin did this, this, and this. It's like, yeah, our big two, Colin, Joel. I think that would be a real organizational emphasis. But I'll throw this out there. You're right. It's not going to be a one-for-one trade. So let me ask you this. Cleveland has all their first-round picks, right? Like, in theory, they could go as hard as in the picks front as Brooklyn did for James Harden. So how many picks would you be willing to add to Colin Sexton to make this worth Philly's while? Are you willing to go the like three picks and three swaps route? Or is it more like, yeah, we'll do Sexton and two picks, but you know, not much more than that. I think it's two. I think it'd have to be Sexton and two picks because I, because let's be honest here. Even if you, I guess Ben Simmons theoretically can raise the floor of this team. And we can talk about the Cavs side of things too here. But like I said, like you're bringing Ben Simmons in and you're going to the pair him alongside Isaac Okoro and Jared Allen, who, yes, Okoro has potential as a shooter, but he was not a great shooter last season. And Evan Mobley, in theory, could be a three-point shooter one day, but I don't know if he really can be right out the gates. Like, he, he he's – Evan Mobley's more than welcome to prove me wrong and just say, I'll gladly shut up and eat crow if he just, like, comes out guns blazing like Larry Marketing did last year for Chicago. Like, you need spacing alongside Simmons to operate properly. Like I think, yes, a fresh start is ideal. I think Cleveland does make a lot of sense as a talent play, but at the same time, like this could still be a bad Cavs team. Like this could still blow up in spectacular fashion. So those picks do have a perceived value to them too, especially if it's next year's pick and it's lightly protected or has virtually no protections on it whatsoever. But I think I'd say Sexton and two first, just the really like enticing pieces, and then. Maybe you include Ricky Rubio instead of Kevin Love if you really want to get into the minutia of it, too. And, like, I don't know if I love that spacing-wise for Philly, but, again, that's Philly's decision, not mine. But Well, I would imagine if they're getting picks or if they're getting Rubio, they're rerouting that for veteran help. Like, I oh, would think for sure. that, yeah, that's, it's all – even if they get picks, even if they make a future-based trade, they're going to ultimately end up with win-now pieces, right? Like, maybe their whole goal is – we want to get as many valuable Cleveland picks as we can or Minnesota picks or whoever, because in three months or six months or whenever Bradley Beal is going to be available. And we want to be able to throw all those picks at Washington. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility, but I don't think Rubio would finish the season in Philly if he landed there, but I'll throw this out there as well. We've spent this whole podcast talking about Colin Texan. What about Darius Garland? Like, is he off limits? Does Philly have any interest? Is it just another clutch client? That, like, we're not dealing with Rich Paul again? Like, is that what's going on here? So it's tough. Um, Darius views Rich as a lot of like a big brother and a mentor in certain situations. I know Rich has done a lot to take care of Darius during his time with Cleveland. Like Rich still has a clutch office that isn't really used in Cleveland, but has made sure Darius is well taken care of. Like Rich has a really good working relationship with the Cavs organization because Obviously, with their time together because of LeBron, and then there's JR, Tristan, other players like that that have gotten paid handsomely because of LeBron, and you know, just Rich Paul is a shrewd negotiator. But I, I want to say Darius is more off limits. I think a lot you're going to see a lot of pieces. Like I'm working on one right now for Facebook Bulletin about how like I think Darius could really put things together next season to show that he can be the face of this franchise and the guy going forward. And then Evan Mobley will eventually join him alongside him. But like Darius was flashes of potential as rookie season. I'm saying like, okay, I can kind of see why the Cavs did it. Then last season he really started to show me like during certain games, like, okay, I can really see why the Cavs did it. But like the biggest bugaboo with him is his inability to stay healthy. But I just don't think the Cavs are more uh, as inclined to take Darius or trade Darius at this point because I think they really do believe in him as a player. And they believe, and I'm not saying they don't believe in Colin either, but I think 
Colin is just the more available asset at this point too, because Cleveland's reluctance to pay him. That's the biggest thing. And maybe like there's, he has just like more of a perceived value as well right now. Like a certain team like Philadelphia can say like, okay, we have a player like Colin Sexton. We know exactly what we're getting here. Like we can make him work in X, Y, Z ways. We're like Darius, you, you still need to figure him out a little bit. He's still a little green at times, and he's a little gun-shy from three, but I think it's because the Cavs' offense is more vanilla than anything. After watching footage, we're like, they're they're very one-read if you watch Cleveland's offense, and things just kind of break down after that one read doesn't work. But um, I, I just don't think Darius is very available. Um, I think, like, I, I've talked to some folks around the league about this, like, ideally i think darius would like to play with ben like i know ben simmons and darius garland are pretty close they work out together in the off season like there's plenty of footage of darius trying to cross ben up and ben just being an absolute imposing force because he is such a great defensive player but there's other times where he's broken ben simmons down too but i i also just don't think rich wants to put a client that he's obviously close. I mean, I think, I mean, Sans Nerland is Noel. He's pretty close with a lot of his clients and the, whichever Morris twin just kind of punted on him and went from San Antonio to New York. But, um, I, I don't think he wants to put Darius in another situation where he has to deal with Philly. And I think he wants to do in the best interest of his clients. And if you can have two clutch clients in Cleveland that, and also Darius is extension eligible this offseason as well. Like, you can have two clutch clients that are handsomely being paid by the Cavaliers. I think that's in the best interest of Rich Paul. And I agree. obviously and Ben and Darius. I think this is really what's ultimately holding up the Simmons trade, right? Like, yes, if Lillard or Beal was available, Philly would have done something already, but they're not. Oh, yeah. I think Philly might have compromised if they could have gotten like a premium young guy from another team, right? Like if Anthony Edwards was available, I think Ben Simmons would be a Timberwolf right now. Garland yeah. isn't quite on that level. But I think he is, I think his perception around the league is high enough and more balanced because Sexton, you get stuff all over the place, right? Like there are people like me who are really optimistic. There are also people who just don't think he's all that good and wouldn't want to pay him. Garland is more balanced. I feel like people are mostly on the same page that he's on a path to being, let's say, an above average NBA starting point guard. I think if he were available, Philly might have taken him by now, but they haven't. So I do think that Sexton is probably the base piece here. But coming back in the other direction, you've talked about Evan Mobley and not knowing what kind of tutor he's going to be. The success or failure of Simmons in Cleveland would ultimately rely on his success or failure in a partnership with Evan Mobley because that's what, in large part, is dooming his situation in Philly, right? Like, in most situations, if you had Ben Simmons and, let's say, a normal center and they were having issues fitting, you just trade the normal center, right? You'd rather build around Ben Simmons. He's the rare talent. Well, yeah. Cleveland is one of these teams that has a center that like might be a higher organizational priority than Simmons. So I personally think he's going to be a good shooter. I don't know if he's going to be great, but you've probably studied him more than I do. I'm, I have. I'm not a huge draft guy. So like, what is your initial thought on a fit between Simmons and Mobley? I, long-term, I don't think I hate it because I think – Mobley has the ability to space it out eventually, but I think the Cavs are going to bring Evan Mobley along slowly as well. Like Kobe Altman during the summer league broadcast, I didn't go to Vegas to watch the game. So I was watching it at home. It was the Rockets Cavs game to open things up in summer league for Cleveland. Um, Kobe Altman was on the air and said like, ideally we will don't want Evan defending fives right away. We want him to primarily defend fours and pair him alongside Jared Allen. And I think him playing a lot of minutes alongside Fiondu Cobb and Gale was maybe a little bit of a test run to see like, okay, what does he look like next to more of a traditional big man, more or less, because Cobb Gale is a raw defensive minded center. And you kind of get a clear idea of how that works. I think spacing wise, it's going to be really clunky at first. If you pair Simmons and Mobley together, and if you throw Allen in the mix as well, like yes, Jared Allen took more threes in Cleveland than he ever did in Brooklyn, but it's still not a huge it's indicator that he's suddenly much. an input. Yeah, it's not a huge indicator that he's a three-point shooter all of a sudden. I just think that's the luxury of Cleveland not really having much of an offensive identity that Jared well, also, Allen... Also, like, by the way, JaVale McGee took more threes in Cleveland than he took anywhere else as well. Yeah, and Andre Drummond did too, much to my hair that I ripped out. Um, God, what an experience. But oh, I had Drummond in Los Angeles last year. Believe me, I'm very aware. 
Oh, for sure. And my, my buddy was breaking down the usage percentage of the team last year. He's like, guess who's number one? I'm like, I, I have him the foggiest. He's like Andre Drummond at like 30%. I'm like, oh my God. Because I forgot there was a time where J.B. Bickerstaff was just running plays exclusively through Drummond in the post. But this, is, this, isn't, this isn't my therapy session. This is your podcast. But it, I think they could work together long term. But like back to my point, I think they're going to bring Mobley along a lot more slowly. And I think that's where the marketing addition kind of comes into play here where realistically like i could see the Cavs starting marketing to open the season and they bring mobley along so slowly that he's the backup four and five off the bench and you kind of get him comfortable playing real nba minutes because he is very thin he's 215 pounds but he's like he's very slight in his frame i think people who are concerned about his weight long term are kind of blowing things out of proportion because if you look at his brother and he has a similar build to his brother like his brother's 235 right now, and I think Evan, Evan can add 20 pounds of muscle over time. He's not going to do it immediately, but he'll add it over time. But you want to bring him along slowly and not really ruin this pick here. But like you said, like this also isn't a player where you can just say, like, okay, it's not working with Ben Simmons. Let's go out and trade Evan Mobley. Um, that, that's really foolish on your part, their part, because I would say – Evan Mobley is such a good talent where in any other draft class if Cade Cunningham wasn't there and maybe Jalen Green as well, depending on how you feel about Jalen Green. Like Evan Mobley would be the consensus first overall pick because of the potential he has. And I think because of that potential and just because of how young he is, you want to bring him along slowly. So like long term, sure, if he develops as a shooter, and I think he does have the ability to do it. He doesn't have like a broken shot. He just didn't take a ton of threes at Southern California last year. And granted, Southern Cal's offense wasn't really the most creative either and he's entering a situation in cleveland where it's not very creative offensively either and maybe jb bickerstaff now that he has a proper training camp that isn't restricted by COVID and everything like he can actually install an offensive system and i'll be happily proved wrong at this point but like it was very vanilla last season so like the expectations aren't super high so it, it, to start things out maybe not it wouldn't be great but I think, like I've said many times before, like acquiring Simmons is a talent play. And I think because of the defense, because of the playmaking and things like that, like the spacing would be pretty abhorrent. But I think as a talent play, like it just makes these young players so much better too, because Ben Simmons is a, is a floor raiser, like we talked about. Like, yeah, these young guys are going to have their lumps and inexperiences. And I think making Ben Simmons is like the key veteran and focal point for this team, but also the guy kind of helps counterbalance a lot of those things but i think eventually in time you can make the fit work and then maybe maybe mobley is more of a shooter i don't have his summer league stats in front of me but he didn't take a ton of threes but he, like he didn't look uncomfortable taking them and like like i said his mechanics and shot aren't totally broken they just need like tweaking and refinement like most college players do and you just kind of hope for the best there but i don't think like the Cavs are going to be working from like square one they're just kind of building up what they already have and hope they can have something long term well i think there's one key difference between the simmons mobley fit and the simmons and beat fit joel and beat came around first i think that's quietly a much bigger deal than people are making out to be because Embiid had that first year when simmons was hurt where he plays 31 games and he is fantastic right and everybody think if he had been healthy everybody would have voted for him for rookie of the year and not only that he had so embraced being a sixer and being like the face of the process that he was the face of the franchise, the fans loved him and everything revolved around him. So when Simmons comes along, he did some adjusting to fit in with Simmons. Like that shouldn't be ignored entirely, but ultimately he had already established himself as a certain kind of player and he wasn't going to overhaul that. Whereas Evan Mobley is a rookie. And if he's coming onto a team with Ben Simmons as an established all-star, I think he's probably going to be a bit more malleable and like make more of an effort to entirely fit his game around Simmons than, than Embiid did. I mean, that's obviously subjective. We don't know for sure. But I do think that's one advantage. I don't think that can really be overlooked, that like having somebody come in as a rookie versus having somebody start their career with an already established star center, those are two really, really different things. Mm-hmm. No, it, it is super different. And like the Jared Allen part of it too, like – I, I, I don't want Jared say, Allen to like disappear into the sun. I really just want them to be small, right? Like I'm Mobley at center, Markinen at four, and Simmons is like, I guess, the point forward. Like Allen, yeah. I don't want closing games and Simmons is there. Yeah, I know. But I guess if he's there for now, it's not, it's not the worst thing because Allen doesn't have a super high usage rate. And I guess in 
theory you can make him work as a pick and roll partner but again this the spacing is awful and then maybe if you acquire simmons i think it's going to be hard to move a five-year hundred million dollar contract right off the books like that but you wait a little bit and maybe you find a team who's willing to take on that money long term and you start to build especially on with the cap spike coming with the exactly. cap spike coming like in two years three three years 60 million isn't going to seem so imposing no, yeah, that, that's that's the thing. Like, it doesn't seem as imposing with the cap spike eventually coming too. But it's just tough right now. Like, justifiably say, like, okay, you commit all this money to Jared Allen, you commit all this money to Larry Market, and you draft Evan Mobley. Let's bring in another guy who, yes, is a three, but provides no spacing whatsoever. Maybe out of spite, Ben Simmons just suddenly starts shooting threes as soon as he sets ground in Cleveland. Like the first thing he does in practice is start jacking up threes and making them. I'm not saying it's going to be like the Andrew Bynum shot chart that got Andrew Bynum uh, sent home by the Cavaliers permanently. Um, that's that's a legendary shot chart. If you're li- folks, if you're listening, like Google it and you'll understand what I'm talking about. But I, I just, yeah, if you, if you removed Allen from the equation and you went... Mobley, Markkinen, Simmons, and I guess Okoro and Garland. Like, yeah, the spacing's still pretty bad there, but defensively, like, that's a pretty, really good squad, honestly. That could be the number one defense. Yeah, like, Okoro and Simmons on the perimeter, like, that's hellish. And then you have Mobley roaming and protecting the paint. Like, yeah, maybe if you trade for Simmons now, like I said, this is a talent play, and you approach that next offseason – or maybe you try and find a way to maybe like remove and slowly remove Allen from the equation as well. Like that, that kind of sucks though, because Jared Allen was a player that the Cavs have wanted for a really long time. And, but also Ben Simmons also is just that good of a player that you really just change the equation. That's the thing. Like basketball isn't so binary. It's really more fluid. Like you have to like adapt with every move that the league makes around you and also whatever moves that come to fruition for your team. So, yeah, the Allen factor of it makes it tough. Um, that offense would be painful to watch at times, but I think defensively, like they would not have a fun time playing the Cavs either. Like opponents would not have a fun time. Isaac Okoro is kind of a no man's land here because if he stayed in Cleveland, Ben Simmons sort of makes it hard to play him big minutes. But if he yep. went to Philly, Matisse Thibel does the same thing. So yep. I think for his sake, I'm not really sure, unless it's a three-team trade, and he was going somewhere else. Like, I know he's shown a little bit of ball handling juice. Like, I think he could be like a nice little supplementary playmaker from the wing. But can he fit with somebody who's not a shooter? Because I'm pretty pessimistic there. I, yeah, I'm a little cynical on it myself. I think coming out of Auburn, he was not known as a shooter, but his shot wasn't totally broken, but it needed a lot of refinement and work. And I think you saw a lot of that last year with Cleveland, but he's also really gun shy too where he doesn't want to be like a selfish player either where he's just going to jack up shots he thinks he plays within his means like it, there's a lot of stories out there where like jb Bickerstaff and other players had to like tell isaac on multiple occasions hey when you're open on the perimeter we want you to shoot it like miss or make like we want you to feel comfortable taking those shots because let's be frank the Cavs are in a in an evaluation period and kind of getting these younger guys more comfortable with just playing in the nba in general so just good, good coaching and thought philosophy on their part. I, I know losing sucks, but you want to make your younger players better, obviously. But yeah, like I said at the top, like the Cavs did a lot of favors for Isaac Okoro where they didn't go out and make a move to get like a big name wing to kind of make an upgrade on the, at the three spot where they kind of bump him down the pecking order a little bit. And like you said, yeah, he could provide some tertiary playmaking. That was a fun little addition the Cavs kind of discovered towards the end of last season, but it was out of necessity because just the, the roster was slammed by injuries with Garland out and Dante Exum playing for a hot second and Matthew Del Vadova dealing with concussion issues. Like, the Cavs really didn't have – like, they were playing Damian Dotson serious minutes at the point. That's how desperate it got. We do not points. slander Damian Dotson on this podcast. No, he is like fair. the deep bench guy that I like. I have a weird infatuation with him. I'm convinced that he will have a productive three and D year for somebody. Yeah, I, think I don't know what's going to happen, but I believe. Yeah, he'll, he'll he's going to find a team to stick with, and I think they'll he'll find a team that they'll make him he'll make them happy. But he was quietly like not terrible for the Knicks. Like 
No, he wasn't. Know, like, he wasn't. He wasn't bad for the Cavs either. It's just I think the Cavs also put him in a situation where he couldn't succeed. Where they said, yeah. like, "Okay, Damian, we need you to go out there and play point guard for 25, 30 minutes tonight, and also play defense and provide some shooting like you usually do." And if you're not on, like, okay, we need you to create plays and play defense. And like, there's only one of those things Damian Dots, and I feel comfortable in saying is like very good at, but it got desperate, and you see Okoro like at Auburn he showed a little bit of playmaking chops he said that's something he's always been kind of good at like he played point guard in high school um he's not necessarily like you said a primary creator he could be like a secondary playmaker on the wing like I think that's a fun little addition that the Cavs explored during summer league like I think we like the point of Coro run started when summer league began and it kind of died when summer league was over like you can firmly say Isaac Coro is going to be playing like backup point for the Cavs next year and especially with Ricky Rubio now in town and then Kevin Pangos as well as just that third veteran guard on the bench um but like he said it's a good option and but it's also an issue where if you don't believe his shot develops, it it just gets really shaky and really dicey at that point. Like it, it's just really tough. And I think there's a chance it will, but I need to see more f- just like sustainable data that says like, okay, Isaac's trending in the right direction. Like I think he was better off than most thought he would be when he came out of Auburn. But at the same time, like he didn't make like a dramatic leap. And granted he was in a rookie season where it was kind of unprecedented for most rookies, but I don't know if you get Simmons, I think you're clearly seeing like, okay, Isaac, it's been fun. Um, Let's see what you have maybe as like the backup three or we play you more of the two or we kind of figure out what the next steps are there. But like if you acquire Simmons, I don't think you're too worried about why Isaac Cora is feeling and maybe you try to make a move as well to maximize the Simmons acquisition and you make your primary cornerstones Simmons, Garland and Mobley. And then obviously Allen's still going to be there just because of his contract. But like you use some of these other pieces like a core to maybe add some shooters or add some more depth and talent to maximize that Simmons acquisition as well. I think what we're ultimately saying here is that if Cleveland got Ben Simmons, it wouldn't be a perfect fit right away. But like the basic bones are there for something pretty interesting with subsequent moves. Like, guess what? That's 95% of big trades in the NBA, right? Like, most yep. of the time, you're not the Nets with two stars already trading for your third. Most of the time, like when you're trading for, let's call it a distressed asset here, like it's not going to be as simple as just like plug and play. There's going to be some complications here. I do want to change gears slightly, though. You had a report yesterday about Houston as a Ben Simmons team, which makes some sense. There's some irony in that, given the hard note negotiations. Like if they were to end up in a scenario where like, they're deciding between these Brooklyn picks and Ben Simmons. Well, now they get both like that would be kind of funny, but something you mentioned that I found really interesting was that Philly might potentially be taking John wall back. If that were a deal was going to happen. So I want to ask you to elaborate a little bit on this. Like mm-hmm. Philly view John wall as a positive asset because I'm not sure they get many people to agree on that. Or is it more just like that is matching salary that exists? Like, just elaborate on John Wall to Philly. Absolutely. It's more so it's matching salary. I don't think Philly views him as a positive asset. I mean, yes, you could say John Wall was productive in his limited time, but you have to look at his usage rate and look at how his PER was just absolutely tanked last season for the Rockets. Like, John Wall's pretty tapped out. It's a shame. I think it's just another another pin in Achilles injuries just kind of ruining a player's career and just kind of like really setting things in motion that you didn't plan on of course but i think more so it's just the rockets posturing saying like okay if we were to acquire ben simmons his value around the league is perceived to be a lot lower than what people initially would have expected we could perhaps keep our young core of Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., and I'll even throw Christian Wood in here as well because I don't know if they would even want Christian Wood. Keep that group intact, and you bring Ben Simmons into the fold where I love that fit in theory. Like, you play Simmons at the one. I know Kevin Porter Jr. said he's a point guard, but you play him at the two. You play Jalen Green to the three. Maybe you start Sengun or Thice at the four, and then you play Wood at the five. Like, that's a young team. Again, it's like Cleveland, but at least that team has shooting around it, so it makes Simmons life a lot easier and Simmons has options to provide playmaking maybe maximize the potential of a lot of these young players where 
Cleveland, on the other hand, just the spacing just makes it a little bit clunkier. Like, yeah, he made the young players better, but I just think I don't know if Philly necessarily views. I like I I can't get a firm answer out of Philadelphia when I ask about it, but they're like, yeah, I think John Wall would make sense in a vacuum. Like he's a he he would play point for the Sixers. Obviously, he would. I don't know. He obviously is not an upgrade over Ben Simmons, like in any aspect. But maybe Philadelphia gets creative with it and they try to like segue it. And a lot of people are floating the idea that the Cavs bring in John Wall, and I'm like, okay, let's get really weird with it. And then the Cavs bring in John Wall, but they shed the Kevin Love contract. I don't think they necessarily they want to do that. But yeah, why are was, you trading one problem for another? That doesn't really make I, sense. I don't. I don't know. Maybe you want to mentor these younger guards by bringing in a young veteran or a veteran guard with a ton of experience like John Wall. I would Wall, argue but, if that was the case, John Wall would just be staying in Houston because yeah. they have young guards that could use some mentoring. Yep. And it, it, it's tough. So it, it was a lot of like talking on the Houston side of things that I heard where they're saying like, okay, they're kind of posturing some of their assets here. But I think just because Ben Simmons perceived value is a lot lower than based on what everyone else has been hearing. Cause none of us are sitting in these conversations between general managers and also I'll like say this full stop. Most GMs just don't straight up call people out of the blue and say like, Hey, is this player available? Like, you just have daily conversations with the folks. You talk, you get familiarity, you establish familiarity with them. Maybe you start slowly bringing up a conversation saying like, hey, we can maybe work out a trade for this guy. Like you just don't cold call and say like, okay, let's offer you John Wall for Ben Simmons. Like this is, there's layers to this. And like you slowly build this over time. But uh, so it was, it was a lot of the posturing was on Houston side of things or what I heard. Like they're like just saying like, yeah, John Wall would be, one of our more tradable pieces if we wanted to acquire it. It's more of a salary match at this point, but because Ben's value is so low at this point, we don't have to give up a ton of young assets at the same time because I know people may not be as high on Kevin Porter Jr. Maybe this is the Cleveland side of me talking, but like I'm very high on Kevin Porter Jr. And if you can maintain him, and obviously Jalen Green's off the table, but like you don't trade off many of these other young pieces, that's a huge win if you're Houston. Again, I don't know if the trade makes sense for Philly, but maybe Philly gets creative. They get another third. They get a third team involved, and maybe they could try to get some more assets as well, just because they use Houston as like a pipeline to take some of these younger pieces and picks and like acquire more talent alongside John Wall. I really do think why wouldn't Philly be interested in Christian Wood? Because that would solve a their backup five problem, which they have tried every conceivable solution to this. They gave well, Al they got Horford my man Andre like, Drummond. That's all they got now. Of They're course, good. because as the Lakers and the Cavs know, that solves everything. Um, well, they, it's the they, established they, rivalry and hatred between Drummond and Embiid, where they're just going to maximize and push each other to the limit every single Embiid time. Embiid has broken Drummond down so he can build him back up. Um, exactly. It's no, the they, long con, because that's they, actually, just a quick aside, I remember when Cleveland was in Detroit. It was Andre's first game back in Detroit. And Philly was looming, and I asked Andre. I was like, "Oh well, your your friend uh, Joel Embiid's waiting for you. You ready to play on a second of a back to back?" He's like, "I don't care who that person is, and I don't really think much of him." Next question, I'm just like, "This is the kind of drama I like," and I'm like rubbing my palms together like a like a little gremlin. <laughs> but my point is, like, they gave Al Horford a hundred million dollars to solve that problem, and it didn't solve that problem. Like Christian Wood would solve the backup center problem offensively him and Embiid I don't know how you handle that I don't know what you're doing like who has a front court aside from maybe the Lakers that could defend Christian Wood and Joel Embiid I I don't know I think that would be an awesome fit I don't know if Wall makes sense for them but also like I'll throw this out there you know what maybe there's uh, I guess there isn't really a three-teamer here because well maybe like just hypothetical scenario let's take John Wall out of the picture here for a second Ben Simmons to Houston for Christian Wood and a bunch of picks and then the Sixers redirect those picks to Philly for Colin Sexton. And you're starting a lineup of Sexton, Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Christian Wood, Joel Embiid. And then you have Thibel off the bench. You have Maxi off the bench. I think there might be something there. There might be. We might be cooking with something there because in theory, that's like the ideal lineup you put next to Colin Sexton is just a lot of plus size defenders. And you don't have to worry about his defensive deficiencies either. And like, I like, the, I think Doc Rivers is the Tobias Harris whisperer. So he's going to maximize Tobias to begin with. And 
I maybe I do need to take back what I said because I'm thinking about the Wood and Embiid pairing. Like that'd be that's that's tough. Like you said, like the Lakers. I think maybe Milwaukee just because I think Lopez is still pretty good for what he is, and I think Giannis is just an absolute freak. I mean, like that it's it's part of his nickname. So maybe just those two teams. But other than that, like good luck, and that might be able that might be a little bit more pushes them in the direction of Brooklyn. I don't know if it does enough to push them in the same direction as Brooklyn, but Brooklyn's biggest crux is whether or not they can stay healthy. And if Philly can just stay healthier than Brooklyn for the entire season, I think they'll be in the catbird seat come playoff time. But yeah, that, that's a pretty interesting trade. Like if Cleveland can just get a bunch of picks for their trouble and they can don't have to worry about paying Colin Sexton, maybe more money than they actually want to pay him. I think that that'd be an ideal trade for all three teams. Like, well, yeah, they, the they don't, they don't get Simmons, but they get something for their trouble. Here's the other part of this trade I really like. Joel Embiid is 27. Like, I know that there's all this consternation about you have to win right now. You know, he has all these injury issues. You don't know how long it's going to last. Well, I would argue that the Nets are a much riskier long-term proposition. So if you get oh, yeah. Christian Wood, who's 25, and Colin Sexton, who's 22, okay, you might lose to the Nets for a year or two, but you build up a team. You have Thibel, who's young as well. You have Maxi, who's young as well. Tobias Harris is, like, I think 28, 29. Like, he's still got a couple prime years left. Like, Maybe you're talking about winning the title in like 24 or 25 then. Yeah, that, that, that makes sad to think about what you said there just timeline-wise. Like, yeah, you have to wait for the health of this Nets team. Like, you hope for no injuries at all in this league. But maybe it's part of the long play too. And you uh, you try to say, Joel, like, listen, Joel, we're going to try and compete now. But also in two, three years' time, we'll still be competing. Like, that's not a bad play either. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think we might have really stumbled onto something here. I think this is a really interesting trade. Um, yeah, I, I posted this on Twitter last night. How much would John Wall make if he had been a free agent this offseason? And let's say he's artificially limited to two years. The answer I mostly got was the mid-level exception. And a two-year mid-level exception is $20 million. Well, John Wall is owed $90 million over the next two years. $70 million is a pretty big difference. It's a lot of dead money. Um, oh, for sure. Generally speaking, a first-round pick is worth twenty to twenty-five million in dead money. That's not an exact science, especially because like John Wall is like a valuable player, not like a star anymore by any means. But like he could play in a rotation, he could be helpful. But you probably mm-hmm. need two or three first-round picks just to get off of that money, and that's before you factor in the value of Simmons. So like, I feel like if a John Wall to Philly trade was going to happen, like. Houston might have to attach like five or six first round picks to make it possible. I don't know that that's the worst idea for either side, frankly, because Houston already has Jalen green. Like they already have the Mm -hmm. star. So giving up all those picks, that's not as dangerous to them as it would have been a year ago. And then you look at this on the Philly side, you get all of those picks and suddenly it becomes much easier to trade for Beal or Lillard down the line. I don't know if either is going to be available, but like what you're basically saying is our roster is TBD. We're going to find the second guy eventually. We're just holding on to these picks, and we'll send all of them out when the opportunity presents itself. Yeah, I I think that's that 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 makes a lot of sense, and especially if you're Houston, because let, let, let's bring this back to the Cavs conversation too. Like maybe Cleveland isn't as comfortable like giving up as many picks because they don't know if they'll still be a good team in two three years time. Where Houston, if you truly believe in your heart of hearts, Jalen Green can be that superstar that just leads you to the next level alongside like Kevin Porter Jr. And I guess in this hypothetical Christian Woods not there, but now Ben Simmons, like that that's a pretty awesome foundation about build off of. And like Houston has acquired a quite a few young, fun young pieces that need some time to grow and develop naturally like all young players do. But they could be cooking with grease in two, three years' time where like those picks don't have nearly as much value. Where like if you're Cleveland, this grand experiment could blow up in your face. And if you don't have any picks to show for it, like you're just slow marching the inevitable depth of this rebuild and then you're getting everybody fired and need to start from square one again like it's an it's an interesting scenario for sure to think about and i'm personally high on ben simmons going to houston like i really do think ben simmons would be a good fit for the rockets well i think ironically what makes this trade more possible is that houston already has these brooklyn picks so in theory they could just offer Brooklyn picks to make a trade like this happen because Mm -hmm. then they could say, well, if we suck, we still have our own picks for the next two years before Oklahoma city starts taking all of our picks. 
So we could tank another year or two if we needed to and maybe mm-hmm. regroup and maybe trade Simmons down the line again. I don't know. It would be really funny if Simmons was traded for Brooklyn picks considering the Harden context. But yeah, I think we might have stumbled onto something. Like it's rare on this show that we end with saying like, yeah, we found the trade that we like. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, no, it is funny how that works out where just we start talking about the Cavs and then we find a trade where it just kind of works out ideally for all parties involved. And yeah, if if you and I were running the Rockets, the Sixers, and the Cavs at the same time, I think we'd have a trade already and folks on NBA Twitter could stop freaking out for a hot second. Oh, trust me, they will be freaking out for several hot seconds, for several hot months, <laughs> in fact. What I honestly oh, sure. think is going to happen is I think Daryl's just going to say like, screw it. Like we're just keeping Simmons. Like you don't have to play like stay away from the team. That's fine. We'll trade you at our convenience. And then, you know, like what we always underrate in these big trade situations is like stuff happens, right? Like guys get hurt. Guys become more or less valuable for some arbitrary reason. Like some, a guy fits into a trade that you didn't like a million things can happen to change. The wrong guy demands a trade. I think Daryl would just say like, we'll figure it out later. Like just, you're not playing the season. Like stay home. I don't think he would mind doing that. And by the way, just we had Brandon Anderson on to talk about futures bets last week. I would be running to the book to be betting the Philly under right now, by the way, for that exact reason. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like it's that. And the fact that Philadelphia may prioritize health and playing later into the postseason versus trying to win as many regular, they're not going to be Mike Boonholes or again, try harding this hard as they I can't, I can't, I gotta, I gotta fire shots at Bud somehow because he finally won a championship, but I don't think Philly's going to be maximizing their potential in the regular season. Well, and they this, were the one this, seed this last year. Load. Yeah. They were the one seed last year. We saw how far that got them. Yep. So I think maybe they want to prioritize health and longevity at this point and maybe wins don't a seeding doesn't necessarily mean anything especially i don't know that atlanta team is also just so insane too like they're gonna be so good next season yossi goslin and i did a whole podcast about the cap spike yesterday and it basically ended with us like mutually realizing we got to start buying some atlanta stock because they're not going to lose anybody if the cap spikes and they might be in a position where in 2025 they have all the cap space they need to add another star to this pre-existing core I am all in on Atlanta, but we have gone very far off the rails here. This was a Cavs podcast, not a Hawks podcast. So I think that's the right place to close it. Evan, thank you for coming on. And where can people find your work? Well, thank you for having me again. Like I said, it means a lot that you thought about having me on to begin with. But you can find me on Twitter at AmNotEvan. If you find a guy holding a grumpy kitten, that is me in the in the flesh. But you can also find my work at Facebook Bulletins right down Euclid. You can subscribe for free using your email address or Facebook account if you happen to have one. There is no financial strain or pressure at all whatsoever to commit to that. But also my work is at Fear the Sword. My written work is at Fear the Sword. And I also do Locked on Cast three days a week right now because of the off season. But once the season gets rolling with preseason play only a couple days away, or weeks away, I should say. Gosh, um, we'll be doing five days a week again and just kind of getting back in the swing of things. But yeah, thank you again for having me. I am traveling next week to help facilitate this move. And then as soon as like I get back to work, oh, preseason starts. Like the season's here again. I am, oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it because I love basketball, but I'm also just like, we've had two really short off seasons in a row. I could, I could take another month here. No, <laughs> but, it's, it's no, my, my friend, my, my co-host and partner in crime, Chris, man, he's just like, it, it, we really only have that much time left till the preseason starts again. I'm like, yep. And he's like, I need like another two or three weeks before I actually like wrapping, start wrapping my head around this. Well, the good news for me is that moving is not a stressful process at all. Like it's very easy and straightforward, especially when you're going across the country. So I'm sure that's going to do wonders for my, my mental health and season approaches. But um, All right. That'll do it for us here today. Um, Go follow Evan, go like, go subscribe, go do everything you need to to get people to listen. Again, this is probably the last episode from San Diego. That doesn't affect you at all, but it's a little nostalgic for me, so I feel the need to mention it. Next time you listen to this podcast, it might be in New York, it might be in Miami. We'll see. It's a long story. But anyway, that'll do it for us here today. We will be back. I'm not even going to say in the near future. We'll be back eventually when I figure out where I'm going to live.